Shelly Luther will spend the next week in jail. Now that's one salon owner in North Texas. Well, she learned that the hard way. And a hair salon owner who had also opened up her store has been jailed. Luther tore up the citation to the cheer of the crowd. But in Dallas, salon, salon owner Shelly Luther faced seven days in jail for... So your client is in jail right now? But yesterday, a woman by the name, and I want you to remember this name, a woman by the name of Shelly Luther in Texas. We don't support the random jailing of, for example, the woman who's now a household name, Shelly Luther. I thought it was terrible. I thought he was a terrible judge. The, the prisoner would like to speak a word. You need to apologize. What were you thinking? He said he, you need to apologize to the politicians. I was like, what? So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon. They're putting this woman in jail because she's trying to feed her kids. The whole thing is screwed up. Well, I'm, I'm proud to stand with Shelly Luther, and I'll tell you what happened to her was wrong. Yeah. I'm not anyone special. I just know that I have rights. You have rights to feed your children and make income. And anyone that wants to take away those rights is wrong. We only had people in Washington, D.C. who had half the guts of this patriot play Shelley Luther. Hi, I'm Shelley Luther, owner of Salon a la Mode. My life changed dramatically as the coronavirus scare swept the nation, closing small businesses. I was forced to make a choice, lose my home or stand up against executive orders and just open my business. In that defining moment, my life changed forever. During my journey, I've met many other people like myself that have had to make critical decisions at crucial moments in their lives. These ordinary people have chosen to do extraordinary things, making changes in the world for the greater good. These modern day heroes never sought fame or recognition for their actions. They were simply presented with a situation that required them to reach down deep inside and act with strength, courage, and faith. Their stories deserve to be heard. And that's why I'm excited to bring these ordinary people with life-changing stories to you on my show, Courage to Stand. My guest today is someone amazing that you will love. He is a motivational speaker and entrepreneur, and I cannot wait for you to hear his story. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Keenan Williams. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. coming. How are you? I'm good. You were saying those great things. Like, is she talking about me? I am talking about, you know what? That's what's great about my guest because you're so humble. You don't think that you deserve all these accolades, and you do. You're a hero. Humility is key. It is key. Humility is key. So let's start with how everything started. You did not grow up with an easy life. Um, no. You were dealt a pretty bad hand. Yeah. Can you kind of tell us about that? Uh, well, I mean, you know, growing up in, you know, what we call the hood. Mm -hmm. Like the real hood, not the fake hood people talk about. Yeah, the real the hood. hood. Yeah. I'm talking about the hood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what state were you in? Where were you? Dallas. I was here in Dallas. Okay, Dallas. Born here hood. in Dallas. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, growing up there, there were so many obstacles and hurdles that were there uh, that most people get tired of running the obstacle course and they give up. Yeah. Uh, for me, being there and seeing those things, but not giving into that, knowing that some, there was something in my heart that was always different. I never gave into what I saw, the drugs, the alcohol, the uh, 
the gangs. Of course, I soon joined those things, but my heart was never in that. Um, and so, you, you know, my father, who I love, and he's a great guy now, he's saved. Uh, never went to church, you know, growing up. My father, who saved, he was very violent. Uh, he and my mother, you know, getting in the fights, the home, uh, the uh, demeanor in our house was very aggressive mm -hmm. because my dad had anger problems that he didn't know how to deal with. Right. And my mother obviously had problems because she accepted it. And so having an unhealthy household produces unhealthy children. And uh, by the time my senior year, I used football. I got into football. I was very good in football. Uh, and it was, it was one of my tools I used to exert my energy, my aggression, my pain, you my get frustrations. I get to hit people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was fun, you know? Yeah. Because I could do it in a healthy way. Now, I did have problems still fighting you know, outside of school. And that was cool. It was okay to do that back then. Nobody was shooting each other, you know? Take care of business. Right, yeah, you know, you know just fighting. Way, yeah. um, but seeing all the things that I saw and, and experiencing that, it still put a lot of contamination in my life that I didn't know how to filter. I didn't know how to have that self-therapeutic moment to get rid of it. What what kid <clears> does, though? I mean, you, you probably thought of yourself more as an adult at that time because you were probably <clears> taking care of yourself. Well, you, you have to in so many areas. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to grow up and you have to say, I have to deal with this. But, you know, being a child in adult situations, you still process as a child. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so by my senior year, which was and something else was cool. I don't want I don't want I'm, I got to make sure I, people hear this. This is why I'm real big on school of choice. There were four streets in my community that were bust, segregate or integrated into Arlington schools. So in the hood, everyone went to the same schools. But one of the streets I grew up on bussed me to Arlington schools, which was 98% white. How was that? So here's a kid from the <laughs> hood going to Arlington school. And here, the, the beautiful thing is this, it gave me an opportunity to learn how to live in both worlds. You were Will Smith. I lived in both worlds, you know, I, by diversity, I, I was able, you know. You were in the Fresh Prince. <laughs> yeah, I was a Fresh Prince, I did, but I didn't know how advantageous that would become to me mm -hmm. until I got older and I saw how people that I grew up with that did not live on those four streets didn't understand how to move in the same arenas I knew how to move in. And so, but by my senior year, and I wanted to put that in there because that's very important, um, but by my senior year, I preseason blue chipper, you know, all kinds of offers for uh, to, to play football in college. And the only thing I ever thought about was was pro football, because in the hood, you either an entertainer or you play sports to get out because it makes the money to get you out. And long story short, I was hurt. Total reconstruction of my knee. Two weeks left of high school. I quit high school, um, joined a gang. And you did not graduate. I did not graduate with two weeks left. I quit high school with two weeks left. Wow. Uh, my parents didn't come see me at the hospital when I was in there. Uh, coaches didn't reach out to me. Teachers didn't reach out to me. There was no counseling. So you've got a young man, 17 years old, whose dream has been shattered. And while I'm home on the couch with my leg in the air and the doctor has told me my career is over, my mother walks in and say, your father and I are getting a divorce. And I have to get my clothes and leave as fast as I can because I'm afraid he's going to hurt me. So trauma after trauma after trauma led to me quitting high school and joining the gang. And I joined the gang, so from 93, uh, I'm sorry, from 86 to 93, 
my life was very, very different. Uh, joined the gang, started selling drugs, crack cocaine uh, in 86. And between 86 and 93, um, I was shot over six times. Six times. Six times. Uh, I got hooked on crack cocaine. I started using what I was selling. And I had never even drank a beer up to that point. Right, I didn't do drugs. Sports, they I do drug testing. I sports. They do, yeah. I would never thought about doing drugs. I never thought about that. So, but this new life introduced me to that. And I was gangbanging. I started selling drugs. I started doing the drugs. You know, shot six times. I started robbing drug houses. Um, uh, you know, I was homeless for four years. I had lost all my friends, my family right here in Dallas. You know, I remember nights sleeping in houses where no lights, no gas, no water, and, and people beside me that I had never seen in my life and waking up and not looking in the mirror for years because who wants to look in the mirror and see something or someone they never thought they would become. You went from having a full support system. Very popular in high school. Because you were worth something to other people. My value was football. Right. And when my value was gone. Your value is gone. My value was gone. And you know, those nights of being homeless and the drugs and the alcohol and, you know, in and out of jail. I went in and out of jail over 45 times between 86 and 93 for various charges, unauthorized use of motor vehicle, forgery, aggravated robbery, deadly weapon, unlawfully carrying weapons, doing everything that I never thought I would do. I did it. Do you think it was maybe to get the attention back, good or bad, you were at least getting I was traumatized. some attention? Yeah. I was traumatized. You can't, you can't deal with trauma that you don't know how to deal with. So I was angry. I was hurt. I was frustrated. I was angry at my coaches. I was angry at my friends from high school. Your parents. <laughs> that we were very close together, but all of a sudden, because I didn't play football anymore, everyone disappeared. I was angry at my parents because I, they failed as parents. But of course, I'm older now. I knew that they only did what they knew to do. So, of course, I've forgiven them for that. Uh, and then in 1990, by 1993, after being shot six times, homeless for four years, in and out of jail over 45 times, of course, you know, so many nights, so many mornings, people would drive by that I did know from growing up and would see me and they would look at me in certain ways or they would hope they would put their noses up or even the people on Sunday mornings that I thought would love me or would tell me something about the God that they serve with the steeple with the cross on top. Mm -hmm. They would lock the doors on me and make me feel as though I didn't belong. And so that was very hurtful. That was very painful. So I determined in my heart I would never become a Christian. <laughs> of course, I am one now. Right. But I said because of that, I would never become or be a part of the God that they serve because of the way that they treated me. Right. I was and just a young we, man looking for answers. We still have a problem with that. Religion heals. Religion is horrible. There's a lot of people that um, claim to go to church or claim to do certain things mm -hmm. and then still look down on people or talk poorly about and other people. And that's not people. God's way. It's not. And I had to learn that in prison. So I was sentenced to six years in prison. Wait a second. You had to learn that in prison. I learned that in prison. Prison became, you know, the first four years of prison was hard for me. And it was hard because I was still a gang member. I was still fighting. I was still frustrated. I was still hurt. You know, no letters, no visitation, no nothing. And you felt like you had to protect yourself in there. Well, you know, it's not a feel. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I was still a leader. So I got to prison and I started fighting 
and I just automatically became one of the leaders there because the leadership was in me. Mm -hmm. I was just leading the wrong way. But the fourth year into prison and, and you know, being a gang member and still uneducated, uh, some things started happening to me. I started having that conversation with God again. I would watch the churches come in and out and I would watch guys that would get paroled and then they would come back and I was still there. And I couldn't figure out why. And I started believing that there was something different for me in my life that I didn't know about yet. And so I started searching and seeking and then we, we had a big riot in prison and I, got on, I was on lockdown in a cell by myself and I had a conversation with God. And it felt so good to talk to him and yell at him and tell him everything that I wanted to tell him and everything I wanted to tell my parents and all those people that locked the doors that I did it again the next night. But this time I made a decision to accept Jesus Christ and said, if he can change my life, then I'm okay with that. So baptized in the cell by myself, filled with the Holy Spirit on fire, power of God hits me. And all I know is whatever it was that hit me had the ability to change and hit everything else in my life that was wrong. So for the next two years, I read 248 books in prison. Uh, I knew I needed to get educated because I knew education would be one of the keys to my success. So I wrote the warden over 150 letters. They wouldn't let me in school because I was a gang member. So I wrote the warden over 150 letters and of course, never answered, never answered, never in school. And then one day I saw the warden walking to the chow hall and I said, here's my opportunity. And I started going around guys and the guards are like, Williams, what are you doing? Getting out of line, get back in line. I said, I gotta get to the warden. And I finally get close to the warden and I yell his name, Warden Jones. And he's got this big 10 gallon hat on, you know? <laughs> you can't miss the warden. Yeah. And all the guards around him. I yell his name and he turns around and he looks at me. And he says, Williams, I know who you are. If you don't write me any more letters, I'll let you in school. I said, yes, sir, that's all I wanted. <laughs> I said, that's all I wanted. That is great. So I got in school. <laughs> And, you know, because as hey, I persistence is key, persistence is key, you know, and that was a defining moment for me. I, yeah. I learned through that moment that if I would stay consistent and stay focused, my focus would create an opportunity for my success. So I prepared for that moment. I prepared for that moment. And I got in school. I began to understand that school would be a part of my success because education was important. I needed to be able to articulate. I be, needed to be able to understand who I was, where I was going, because I still didn't know at that point, okay? All I know is I was reading the Bible and it would say things like, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I said, okay, I need to renew my mind. I need to learn how to read, I need to exercise. And I started reading books about Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass. Uh, I read so many bios on people who had struggles, but yet became successful. It made me understand that if I focused on education and preparation, 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 preparation would one day give me an opportunity to have success. I believed at that point that people in America was no longer unsuccessful because of their goals. They were, they were not unsuccessful. They were unsuccessful because, not because of opportunity, mm -hmm. but I would be unsuccessful if, if I was not prepared when opportunity Fair. presented itself. So there's plenty of opportunities. We need to make sure that we're opportunities ready to take that on. Opportunities everywhere. And opportunity started there. Opportunity starts where you are. Mm -hmm. I started eating different in prison. I changed my walk when I was in prison. 
Because I had that, remember, I was the swag from, walk. I, I'm from the hood. <laughs> I was game member. So, you know, I had that super cool, the dip. <laughs> you know what I'm you know saying? <laughs> that I huggy mean, bear back know, in the day, you know? <laughs> That Fred Sanford, you know, on the block. And I said, yeah. but I said, you know what? This walk, I can't use this walk going where God is taking me. No. Because I read, I read about a guy named Joseph and he was in prison. And one day he went to the palace. And as he was going to the palace, the Bible said he shaved his beard. And I equated that in he prepared himself to fit into the demeanor of the palace. So for me, it was changing my walk, changing my talk, my communication skills. I was in school, I got in college, I took speech classes for that reason. I learned handshakes. I wanted a handshake for two people. The detective who sent me to prison because he was on my heart. By the way, he's one of my best friends now. We'll talk about and, that too. Okay, and, and the other one was for uh, the, the first person that I would work for. I wanted to know how to shake hands. And I even focused on my eating habits. Like in prison, you gotta eat real fast. Well, they like only savages, give you, a... you know? Yeah, you ain't got like seven minutes. You sit down, you, you, there's no talking, you know? No, I used to be a school teacher. We ate like savages too. Oh my God, it was horrible, you know? And I started, I said, you know what? If I'm gonna go to the palace, palace being the White House, this is in 1996, Shelly. I told everyone in prison that I met after I would start eating real slow and taking my time. And they said, why do you eat like that? I said, because one day I'm going to the White House and I want to be prepared for that moment so that I can eat with dignitaries and know how to conduct myself. And they all laughed at me. Let's hold that thought right there. Yeah. We will be right back with Keenan's story. You do not want to miss what's coming up next. <laughs> the following are sponsors for today's show. If you'd like to become a sponsor, please visit us at couragetostand.com. Amy Autry authors customized health insurance options. She's licensed and appointed with multiple health insurance and health share companies so she can review all your health insurance needs, advise, enroll, and support you ongoing with your policy. Amy has over six years of experience as a health insurance broker to save you time and money in shopping and enrolling in a customized health plan that fits your needs and budget. Her services are free, so give her a call at 817-809 4409. That's Amy Autry at 817-809-4409. Looking to buy or sell real estate in North Texas? The Neal team with Better Homes and Gardens Winans specialize in residential and farm and ranch properties. Call our friends Donnie and Darla at 903-744-5475 or email neal at winansbhg.com. Just one call, and as Donnie says, the pretty blonde and the ugly cowboy can put the power of two to work for you. Your journey starts here. Again, Donnie and Darla Neal at 903-744-5475. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Mr. Keenan Williams telling us his story about how he triumphed over a very difficult life. And what I noticed when we were talking about at the beginning and you probably didn't even notice, you talked about reading books about all of these famous people, about how they started with nothing and how they the struggle. came up with something. Sure. You're that person now for people. The, the people that you read about, you are that now. And, and I do what I do for, the, for those people. Yes. I want everyone to know, <clears throat> I do not do what I do 
for me anymore. No, you're not gonna, you, there's no reason to brag about it. I, I just, I just don't. I want everyone to know that in America, the greatest place on earth, anyone can be successful. It doesn't matter where you've come from, the color of your skin, who your parents were, what you've the done. mistakes you've made. Mm -hmm. You can't change. I knew then that I couldn't change history, but I could write my future. And that defining moment for me is when I decided to write a new future for myself and what that looked like. And when I would read about people like Abraham Lincoln, who, whose mother moved him from town to town, he couldn't stay stable in one school, bought a book out of a barrel for one penny that he read and it changed his life, who lost running for Senate, lost running for Congress, lost as a businessman, got engaged, his fiance died. Abraham Lincoln himself was put into a mental institution at one point, but yet he became the president of the United States of America and he signed the Declaration of Independence. That was the defining moment for America. I knew that because I saw it that way, I could become like Abraham Lincoln. You're no different. Or Frederick Douglass. And I'm not them, I'm my own person, but I knew if they could do it, that I could do it. And I started believing in me. Shelley in prison, and even in times in life, there are gonna be times when no one else believes in you, but you gotta believe in yourself. And I remember talking to me over and over and over, I can do this, I can do this, you can do this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even when you're not feeling you can do it, you have to. It, it doesn't matter how I do feel. It. It, it didn't even matter how I felt. It doesn't matter today because every day is still the same day. I still have to get up the same way. I still have to encourage myself. I still have. Now, there are some characteristic traits that are there now that are on automatic, but I still have to every day work hard to be who I am. Um, and we all have to do that. You know, nothing is free. Success is not free. If, if it were free, everyone would be successful. Right. Success is hard work. So, you know, in, in that prison, it became my place of education. It became my, it became my college. I said, my friends are in college and I'm in prison, but I refuse to let them get any more education than I can get. And so reading, 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 even my preparation when I was working in prison, because in prison you do work for free. I understood that if I work for free hard in prison, I would get out and work and I would make a lot of money. So I, I made sure that when I worked in there, I worked harder than everyone else. I would stay after we were done working and I worked in air conditioned refrigeration and I would line all the tools up and I would clean all the tools and I would make sure that everything was where it was supposed to be. And I remember one of the guards, he says, why do you do that every day? I said, because I read that employees spend 50% of their time looking for something that's not where it's supposed to be. And I said, when I get out, I want to make sure that I make my company efficient and economical with time because time is money. He's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. He didn't like, get it. He didn't yeah, get it. No. Yeah, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. <laughs> and, you know, I changed my friends and I learned the law of subtraction. It's one of my favorite things I talk about. You've, you're experiencing that. The law of subtraction is so necessary. If we're willing to subtract the wrong people, the wrong conversations, the wrong places, the wrong things out of our life, I knew if I did that, it would give God room to do some addition and multiplication. Right. So as I subtracted those things in prison, he began to add and multiply my life in prison. And I saw myself from a different perspective. I saw myself as successful. I saw myself as a businessman. I knew one day if no one hired me, I'd hire somebody. I'd already decided if you don't give me a job, I'll just create a job. You don't, right. I don't 
need you to hire me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, all I need to do is get out that door. <laughs> and when I get out that door, I am going to create an opportunity for success that you've never seen before. What, what people or who are the most influential people in your life at that time and what happened? I know you mentioned a, the sheriff that put you in jail. The detective who put me in jail. Okay. His name was Alan Patton. And, and the reason he was important to me at that time is because uh, before I went to prison, they were looking for me and I was a very bad person. You know, I did a lot of horrible things. Robberies like crazy, you know, and I was hurting people. But I will say this so people will know. I didn't rob regular people, I only robbed drug dealers, okay? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> so, that's better than, I, so, I mean, I, you didn't get the old granny with the purse, I, yeah, okay. yeah, you know, I didn't get the old granny with the purse. I was an ethical robber, you know, okay. I, had some, I had some etiquette and right. ethics about my okay. robbing skills, okay? okay? You know, I didn't rob regular people, you know, <laughs> or stores and all that, you know. I just robbed drug dealers because they had what I wanted, perfect, you know? Perfect, perfect. Uh, you know, yeah, ethical robber, you know? Oh my God. But this guy, the detective, is there looking for me uh, I got his number, of course, from my, my mom, and they had dogs looking, they had helicopters looking, I had did some horrible things, and I called him. And I said, look, this is Keenan Williams, I know you're looking for me. Um, I said, I would, if, if you would let me spend 24 hours with my family, because I know I'm going to be gone a long time, I'll turn myself in the next day. And this is before you went? This is show. before I went. Mm -hmm. And the detective said to me, he says, I've never done this before. I'll give you 24 hours and I'll make sure that no one touches you. And if you turn yourself in and I said, I will. So that detective gave me drug addict, crack addict, robber, gang. He gave me responsibility that I hadn't had in years. He believed in me. And a little respect actually. And respect, he believed in me. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I saw all the police cars parked by the house and no one touched me. So for 24 hours, I spent that with my family. And then the next day, I went and turned myself in. That was so impactful to me. It let me know that all police are not there because he wasn't trying to arrest me because I was a black man. Right. He was doing his job. And that affected me for years in prison. Like, that guy respected me. You're always thinking, why? Why? You know, yeah. and all these people have these bad stories about police. And I would mm -hmm. say, what? I had a detective who let me spend time with my family and I wanted to make sure that I found him when I got out. And so my finding him when I got out, you know, I get out of prison and I go, uh, it's probably out maybe a little over a year. I got out, I started my own company. Uh, next day I got a job and got a job at an air conditioning company. And you know, the first thing I told the, the, the owner, I was there at five o'clock in the morning, so it's dark outside, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've been in prison for six years. Push-ups, yeah. I'm up, I eat breakfast, I'm drinking coffee, you know, so my schedule was very early. So I'm there at five in the morning and my mother was trying to stop me from going. It's like, no, I'm gonna go get a job. She's like, okay, I'll tell you, I don't need you to take me. <laughs> you know, I had already mapped out 10 places within a five mile parameter of her house that I could walk to. I was in shape, I ran every, five miles every other day in prison. So I didn't need any help at this point. I just needed to get out, you know? And so I get to this, I get there and it's five o'clock in the morning and this older white guy walks up and it's dark and I scared the crap out of him. I'm this big black dude. It's yeah. dark outside. I'm probably 240 at the time, you know? <laughs> and I said, hey, it's okay. I saw him flinch. You know, I said, hey, you're it's okay. You're not the type of person I yeah, rob. <laughs> right. You, you, dude, you're not my type. Right? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> You're not my sorry, type. Sorry, you know? sorry. That was a good one. This is the first time I heard that. That was a good one. <laughs> and, and, so I tell him, I said, I'm just here to get a job. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. I said, I know. He said, well, come back at 8. We are hiring. My secretary will be here. And I said, no, I'll just wait right here for him. He said, but you can fill out an app at 8. I said, no, I'll wait right here. I said, I learned that first impressions could last throughout the day, and I don't want anyone to ruin my opportunity to work for you. And he looks at me, he's like, give me a few minutes. So he calls me back in, you know, maybe 5.30ish or something, you know. Walk in, I've got my certificate into my hand, and I sit down at his desk. He says, so young man, you're here early, and you tell me that. I said, look, I want you to know I just got out of prison. There's no one that you have that can outwork me that has more dignity, loyalty, and will be more beneficial to your company than me. That was about 5.30. 6 o'clock that morning, I was working for his company, Okay. 30 days later, through, pre- through practices of preparation in prison, 30 days later, I was running my own crew because every day I stayed after work and I cleaned the tools and I lined the tools up. And he would come and say, why are you doing that? And I said, because I want the company to be economical and efficient. And he saw that I cared. And I would talk to the guys and the guys would start listening to me. So my leadership skills leadership. were coming out there. You know, like in prison, the same thing. I had a whole dorm at one point. And... Um, 60 days later, I was running all of the crews. And then 90 days later, he pulls me in his office. He says, look, you're a relationship guy. I like the way you handle people. Um, I'd love to take you to some of my meetings to see if we can get bigger contracts. So he starts taking me with me. We're landing these contracts. Man, I am killing it, right? I'm building these relationships, I'm laughing. And then six months later, I started my own company. Yes. So I started my own company, me by myself. I went into freight business. I just saw a problem they had, and I said, if you do this and do this, change that tie and move this up, this guy could, and I just saw it all at one time, I'm telling you, right? He says, okay, I'll give you a chance to do that. And I did it, and within the first year out of prison from 98 to 99, I made $120,000, six figures. That's so amazing. And then I jumped to 230, and then four, like 470, and then the fourth year out of prison, I made 1.3, and I jumped up to 4 million after that. Fourth year out of prison. Yes, yes. Here's the thing, I didn't have a victim mentality. I had a victor's mentality. I knew if I was going to be successful and I still know the same thing today, I have to take responsibility for my own actions. It's no one's fault if I'm not successful. I couldn't blame my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. Well, I don't have a sister. I couldn't blame the white man Mm -hmm. keeping me down. No, it's no one's fault, I'm in America. So I exercise my constitutional rights to pursue life, liberty, and happiness Mm -hmm. without anyone telling me that there was a constitutional right. I just saw it. You couldn't have been dealt a a worse hand. I I was dealt a horrible hand. The worst hand. I was a horrible hand. Oh, but let's go back to the the detective, Detective Detective Patton. So one year after prison, I go down, uh, and I had been out a little over a year, and I end up getting in, dating someone and getting engaged to a judge. Okay? What? Yeah, I know, it's crazy. So that's a whole new a very show. That's, that's a whole, a whole other, that's for a whole other show. So we're, we're, you know, we're hanging out. And um, so I go down and it's crazy because I started being friends with prosecutors, judges, police, just that attraction. It was there. Mm-hmm. So I go down to the police station and I ask for him and he, I, he's coming out. There's people everywhere, you know? So I raised my hand so he would know it would mean, you know, he was coming to see me. So he's walking towards me, and I'm standing there, and I'm smiling, and he's getting close. Then all of a sudden, he starts walking a little slower. And I said to myself, he recognizes me. So I put my hand out, 90-degree angle, symbolizes friendship, 
my handshake I was waiting on, right? My hand out. He gets up to me and he shakes my hand. He says, don't I know you? I said, yeah, my name's Keenan Williams. You sent me to prison seven years ago. His heart starts beating in my hand, right? <laughs> was he scared? He, or? Well, he doesn't know what I'm there to do. Ex, you know, he sent me to prison, you know? So yeah. his heart's beating in my hand. And I said, but I'm here to thank you because what you did changed my life. He starts crying in the middle of the police station, people everywhere. He's hugging me and saying, thank you. And I don't know what's going on. All I know is I was supposed to go thank him for what he did. He says, I need to take you upstairs and show you something. He takes me upstairs. He, oh, and as I'm going through the police department, I'm going through the police department behind him, right? And I see a couple of the police officers who had probably arrested me 20 times. Kenny Lee, one of them, his name's Sergeant Lee. He looks at me. <laughs> I wave at him. And you're not in handcuffs. <laughs> and I'm not in handcuffs. He's going like, hmm, okay, okay. He opens his computer. He was typing his resignation. Alan said, I'm typing my resignation because I didn't think anyone cared about the job that I did. That was in, that was in 19, I'm sorry, that was in 1994, 95. No, no, I got out of 98. That was in 2000. Mm -hmm. Alan just retired in like 2016. So you kept him from retiring. It gave him another 15 years. And so Alan and I have done news station documentaries together before. We've spoken together before. We talk on the phone constantly. We love on each other. I go to travel and I speak to police departments uh, to show them what the relationship can be like to bridge that gap between police and citizens. Uh, and so Alan's become one of my best friends, you know, um, he shared things with me that only me and his wife would know. Cases, he still does things on the sides, you know. Very good friend. And so the, the point of that is, uh, you know, Shelly, it, it shatters that uh, fallacy that people have about white police officers and black guys. He arrested me because it was his job. And now he and I are friends because I understood that it was his job. Does that make sense? No, it t makes total mm -hmm. sense. And when you say his heartbeat was in your hand, yours was in his. You just didn't know it. I just didn't know Many years it. before that. Yes, yes. So it was pretty cool. You're pretty cool. You're a hero. I'm not a hero. No, you're absolutely a <laughs> I'm hero. I'm just a hardworking guy. You know what, though? That's what I love about you because Thank you. any person, white, black, green, blue, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. can look at their circumstances and know that they can make anything they want out of themselves. And you are living proof of that. And, and be open-minded. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just a few years ago, uh, every, I mean, everyone knows if they're watching, probably know I've been in politics. And, um, you know, I was, a I was vice president for the NAACP at one point, mm -hmm. staunch Democrat. I still have a lot of friends that are Democrats, uh, but seven years ago, something about eight years ago, some things started happening that opened my eyes. Um, I met a guy at an NAACP event who, that I was speaking at, and there's hundreds of black people, of course, it's an NAACP event, right. and there's like two white people. When there's only two white people, you're gonna recognize those two white well, people. Well, yeah, you, know? you stand out. Right, you stand out, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, so, you know, I could tell he and I were engaging. And then afterwards, he walks up to me. He says, you know, we know a lot of the same people. I was like, really? Introduces himself. Rodney Anderson introduces himself. And, you know, we're talking. He gives me his card and says, let's grab lunch sometime and catch up. So he and I ended up having coffee one day. Long story short, 
We were born, both born the same year, the same month, 21 days apart. Grew up in the same city, except I grew up in the hood and he grew up in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a difference. There's a difference. <laughs> Don't forget that. Right? Yeah. That's a reality. Yeah. You know, I tell people all the time, the hood, that's why it's called Planned Parenthood. Right. They gave the hood Superfly and they gave the hood Superman. Yep. I tell young men all the time, if you show me your hero, I'll show you your future. Be very careful who you choose as a hero. So anyway, so Rodney and I are talking and we know all the same people. He went to college, I went to prison. We met for about three months. We're talking, man, hanging out. And he started sharing some things with me that made me ask questions. Because I'm very, I love to ask questions. I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. I, learn, I love to learn. And after about seven months of he and I hanging out and me asking questions and researching and finding out Frederick Douglass was a Republican and Abraham Lincoln was a Republican and, and all blacks were Republican, all minorities, period, were Republicans up to the late to early 60s. I was like, but why were they Republicans? And I realized the laws that... Number one, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican who, who signed the Declaration of Independence and the Republican policies created freedom versus the Democratic policies that created bondage. Right. And the Democrats fought against the Republicans to end slavery. And I was like, whoa, well, then why am I a Democrat? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me, you yeah. know? Like, okay, wait. The Ku Klux Klan comes out of the Democratic Party, but yet I was told I was a Democrat. And so my belief system lined up with the Republican as a conservative. My thought process was all the same, but I was taught I was a Democrat. And after seven months, I looked at Rodney and said, man, you know what? He said, what? I said, I think I'm a stinking Republican. <laughs> He's like, I know you're a Republican. I always knew that. Just I waiting said, for you to realize Why didn't you tell me that? He said, because I didn't need to tell you that. I needed you to discover that. Yeah. I needed you to discover that. And so him loving on me in such a way opened my eyes and allowed me to see something I had never seen. That's why I don't push being a Republican on people. I want to love on them and allow them to see me for who I am. That will build a relationship so that they can see who they really are. How do people get a hold of you? Oh, they can go to my website, uh, well, Facebook, Keenan Williams Motivational Speaker, Keenan. or uh, my website is Keenan Inspires. Keenan Williams Inspires. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> No, that's Kenan good. KeenanWilliamsInspires.com. Yeah, you can Kenan hire Keenan for a yes, motivational yeah. speaking, anything? All kinds of speaking. I do sales training. Um, mainly, you know, I go to schools. I go to prisons. Mm -hmm. I go to companies. I just did a bank. Oh, good. Which is really cool. A bunch of bankers. Uh, Keenan is great. He is great for you to have anywhere. And I would recommend that you hire him. Please get a hold of him. And we'll put all of his information. Thank you so much. Um, at the bottom of the show so you can see it. And um, I just want you guys to know that we have another amazing guest coming on next week. Um, and be sure to share everything with your friends. Uh, we, de we depend on you guys to do that. Um, and don't be afraid to have courage to stand. Thank you so much.